0: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money.
1: The best things
0: in life are free, but you can give them to the and
2: bees
1: From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst Seth Jason. James Early and Ron Gross. Guys, good to see you. Good to see Hello. you, Chris. Chris. How are you? Coming up, we'll give you the latest on Microsoft, Apple, and Fisher Price's recall of more than 10 million toys. We'll talk with Academy Award-nominated filmmaker Charles Ferguson about his new documentary about the financial crisis. Plus, as always, an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the big macro. Guys, some of the stories making news this week. The stock market was up nearly 9% in September, making it the best September since 1939. Consumer spending in August was up slightly, and U.S. consumer confidence improved slightly in the latest ABC News survey. Seth, Jason, we'll start with you. What was your headline of the week? Wow, 1939. I don't need to keep
3: an eye on Germany, do I? No. no. All All right. back memories. <laughs> Excellent. That's that's really good news, 10%. Um, my headline, I guess that consumer confidence number, the uh, consumer spending number well, wasn't so bad, but none of this is really up to a level of uh, what we would expect coming out of a big recession which according to the uh, the guys with the green eye shades, the statisticians, were coming out of a recession. <laughs> you usually come out of recessions at a pretty good annualized growth clip for a while, 9% range or something. We're not even close to there. Uh, and a, a decent economy, y- your consumer confidence number should be 80s, 90s, an overheated economy, your bubble economy you're looking at in the hundreds. Eh, this is better than terrible. It's not great. James? You know, Chris, I'm going to
4: mix it up a little bit and say I noticed that Copper is back up past its April highs. Wow, copper! Yeah, copper, <laughs> copper, Chris. And on 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 a weak dollar and also Asian demand. Asian stocks are, are riding very high too. But but let's focus on the weak dollar because I would not be surprised to see emerging markets be the ones that, that pull the world out of a recession. Uh, not the U.S. After all,
1: so you're just looking to kick back as an American and just let and just some let of them do the work. No, yeah, I,
3: I would be totally surprised by that since most of them depend on selling their stuff to the U.S.
1: Ron, but anyway, good boy. Yeah. Good Ron boy. Gross, what was your headline this so week? So I'll,
2: I'll grab the stock market performance uh, data. So I hate looking at markets on weekly or even monthly basis, but since it was such a dramatic increase of 9% of in September, I think it's important to put it into context and remember that that's coming off of an August where we were down 4 or 5% and we're actually l- up less than four percent for the entire year, Shh. and here we are, <laughs> here we are, Seth, going into the fourth quarter. Why do you hate t- freedom? T- <laughs> so uh, let's let's put it in context. September was good, yep. but uh, economy's weak, unemployment's high, consumer confidence is low, and we're only up three or four percent for the year, so you know, let's calm down a bit.
1: I know it's a little early to start thinking about holiday spending and the retail numbers as we head into the fourth quarter, but But is that something that you're starting to look at uh, as an investor in the services you run? Are there numbers that you're looking for certain retailers or the the retail sector overall to hit? Or or is that just too far away at this point?
4: It's far away. The retail stocks have actually been doing pretty good, both stock-wise and in terms of their revenues. So regardless of any confidence surveys one way or another, uh, people are still spending money. You know but it's it's a tough thing I mean, you don't know what happens until it's
3: too late it's impossible to predict that stuff so the the guys in in this room i I'll, I'll speak for all of them oh. since they they <laughs> can't How reach me you. with their fists from where they're <laughs> sitting it, you look at the stock price more than you more than you try to really accurately predict what the future's going to look like. Better to be sort of uh, right, vaguely right than precisely wrong.
2: Yeah, and I'll say that when I look at individual companies, as long as we have 10% unemployment, uh, I'm being pretty conservative with any kind of growth rate estimates, at least in the near or midterm. And, and that'll protect us on our downside if things continue
1: to be weak. AIG and Uncle Sam have agreed to a plan to pay back taxpayers for that $182 billion bailout. The agreement was reached on Wednesday after AIG's board met with government officials. James Early, I think I speak for everyone when I say, when do I get my check? How's this going to work? Where's <laughs> my $182 <billion>. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, hell is frozen over and pigs are flying, Chris. I mean,
4: I would not have expected the government to actually look like a smart investor, but but it does. Uh, let me clarify one thing, though. AIG does not make nearly enough money to actually pay this hundred eighty something billion back in the normal sense of you paying something back they're they're chopping off arms and legs and and selling them and then giving additional ownership to the government which now owns ninety two point one percent of aig so it's like somebody who's deeply in debt buzzing his hair off and, and selling it to the wig shop to make a few bucks. I mean, maybe it's better than that because AIG does have, have a legitimate business. Um, but <laughs> it was just swamped by all
3: those illegitimate businesses that but they had. But it have. was,
4: yes. So so it's, it is still good. I mean, and, and the government had very good timing here.
3: Well, here's the thing that I, maybe I'm just not that smart. It seems to me that the share price uh, of AIG or any predicted share par- price upon which these, hey, the government might actually make money on this uh, Ah, uh, thesis uh, rests is also based. Uh, I mean, that share price is based on the fact that the government will not let AIG fail right now. So, if you're extricating the government, and you're ex- you're getting rid of that guarantee. What are those shares really worth? I think the only reason they trade anywhere near where they trade now is because everybody knows that the thing can't lose any more money because the government's on the hook. Take that, that
1: away, what are they worth? Who's the America hater now? Yeah. <laughs> huh? You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're going through some of the big news stories of the week. Despite having record sales for the last fiscal year, Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer received only half the bonus he was eligible for. According to filings with the SEC, Bomber took a hit from Microsoft's slow response to Apple's iPad and for the unsuccessful launch of the Kin phone. Uh, Ron Gross, you follow Microsoft pretty closely. What did you think of this decision? Um, I kind of like this, actually. And a
2: full disclosure, we own Microsoft in uh, the service I run, Million Dollar Portfolio, here at The Motley Fool. Uh, I kind of like seeing um, compensation committees step up and say, you know, we're gonna pull back the reins here on the bonus we didn't have a stellar year two years three years we've had a lot of missteps and uh, you're not really um eligible for the full amount of uh, what's a pretty spectacular bonus in regular people terms let's not be too too sad for Mr. Ballmer, since he did receive uh, six hundred and seventy thousand or so, he'll be just fine. Yeah, he'd have been um, fine
3: if they had given him nothing, because he's yeah. worth forty billion worth of <laughs> Microsoft stock. I think. He's,
1: yeah, I, we, I think we were talking on last week's show about the <laughs> Forbes uh, annual list of the wealthiest Americans. He's sixteenth on yeah, that yeah, list, so nobody's
2: yeah. no, no violin playing for him. No, but but I, I like there's move.
3: accountability at Microsoft, actually, uh, and and that's a good thing. We don't see that at a lot of companies. I can think of some smaller companies that grossly overpay their executives even when their executives completely whiff on the growth plans, they give them a, a mulligan.
4: James? Let me give you smiley faces a reality check here. So <laughs> half <laughs> uh, of the bonus dare you? F- for Steve Ballmer is 670000 is discussed. Yeah. My number is maybe a low number for Steve Ballmer's net worth, which is $15 billion. This means the percentage of his net worth affected is 0.0045%. We just said it wasn't that much. If we take the median baby boomer's net worth, which is approximately $125,000, which is almost a story into itself, but but just work with that number, for comparison, this would be the average baby boomer having his or her bonus reduced by $5.62. There
1: you go. Stay tuned for more math wizardry with Professor James Early. Coming up... CEOs think shareholders like you have too many rights, and they're not going to take it anymore. We'll explain why right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross as we dig into some of the companies making headlines this week. The iPhone 4 was released in China earlier this week, and just like in America, the lines were massive. With some reports indicating more than 1,000 customers waiting outside shops. James Early, you're an Apple enthusiast. Uh, was this expected?
4: It, it, it was expected, actually. I'm going to I'm going to say that because Apple Apple's shtick is not just making great products; it, it's making great products, sexy, and, and making them must-haves. And the Chinese market is big on must-haves. You know, something with, with almost like a, you know, a, a cult following that, that demands sort of complete obedience. I mean, that's, that's what we have in the US with Apple. And, and, and so I think Apple is going to do very well in China.
1: Do you think, at some level, Apple is in danger of being a victim of its own success, if, if, if they get to the point where it's like, well, yeah, we were expecting there to be you know, riots, as in fact, there were some reports <laughs> of riots, you know, people rioting to get iPhone 4, um, at some point, is that going to backfire for Apple?
4: That's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, I, I think as long as they make good products, you know, th- they'll get through it. But, it. but if they start depending on that cheekiness, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: On Wednesday, the Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable, the lobbying groups representing many of America's biggest companies, sued the SEC to overturn a rule that ends management's exclusive lock on nominating corporate directors. Ron Gross, why are you and millions (laughs) of individual investors picking on these poor CEOs? Okay, so Chris, (laughs) as as a former hedge fund manager who was actually an
2: activist investor uh, in a former life and and i used to run proxy contests against uh... companies in order to to put candidates on the board nominees on the board of directors uh... i'm i'm typically in favor of anything that puts power back in the hands of shareholders mm-hmm. and away from management and entrenched boards uh... i think we have to be a little careful of unintended consequences here uh... there is some concern that large pension funds unions um, will try to use their ownership of companies to push forth their agenda and uh, pack boards uh, I'm not too concerned about that I think the market in in the re- regards of voting is relatively efficient um, shareholders will, will vote their conscience and, and anything shares, so and anything got, you know? that that puts the power into uh, into the hands of the real owners of the company the shareholders I, I, I think is good and and Ron,
4: just to be specific about the rule here I, th- I think it, it it only applies to or this proxy access nomination thing only applies to Large shareholders who held their sh- shares for at least three years. Right? Correct. So Which is
2: why something like a pension fund yeah, would exactly. be eligible. It
4: eliminates yeah. most regular investors
2: Now, back in the old days, you can still nominate a, a uh, someone for a board. Most, just most. If they
3: don't like them; they'll crush you like an ant. <laughs> right. Correct. <laughs> it's Like it's running it. in
2: yourself for president yeah. or something. So this makes yeah, it a yeah. little bit yeah. easier. Yeah. You,
3: you also want to be very skeptical of, of the Chamber of Commerce nationally. <laughs> Not long ago, they were beating the drum on this whole naked shorting thing, and, and I think and they don't believe really,
4: in global warming either.
3: Yeah, it really. Really, really, really foolishly, they uh,
1: let's just, yeah, just you can ignore them safely. <laughs> <laughs> On Thursday, Fisher Price announced a voluntary recall of more than 10 million children's products sold in the U.S. Included in the recall were 14 models of tricycles and nearly 1 million high chairs. Fisher Price is owned by Mattel. So, Jason, you are a father. You are also a cycling enthusiast. Uh, Does your little girl have one of these trikes? She doesn't, and I'm looking at one of these Dora trikes right now. There's
3: this tiny little rounded plastic key that is supposedly responsible for much injury. I, I... Good for, good for Fisher Price, good for Mattel. This, this is a penny on $1.70's worth of earnings or something. It doesn't mean anything to them financially, and it will get people off their back and maybe save a very few kids from getting a bump. But honestly, my house, the, anybody's house, has hundreds and hundreds of better ways for children to get hurt. <laughs> better ways, <laughs> I like know? that. <laughs> Much more likely ways. We 36 injuries in, in how many million toys? That, that's nothing.
4: James. Yeah, next time my next time my child rises death trap, try to go over to his hazardous high chair, <laughs> I'll think of Fisher Price. No, I have to agree with Seth on this, actually. It's I'm I'm sure there's just a statistically a number of injuries on Fisher Price things anyway, but you know, good for Fisher Price for being proactive here. Unlike Johnson & Johnson, which had forty different kids' medicines that were contaminated with metal shavings and bacteria and, and crud like that, and they didn't issue a recall. Instead they sent the sneaky people out to try to buy it on the sly. So I mean, it's probably a partially a wasteful expenditure on Fisher Price's part, but hey, maybe it's a good move.
1: We got to give him a thumbs up, though. I mean, that's just it, it, seriously. As <laughs> yeah, a, as you in being don't. a good wonder, corporate citizen. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I wonder
3: yes. if we also yeah. just. I mean, Americans are such sissies about <laughs> everything. everybody wants to think they're the big tough American, and I'm self-sufficient. And really, we are just sissies. If something, if we can blame somebody else for a problem. My kid the other day fell, tripped over my foot, and hit her eye and cheek on the edge of a door. I mean, should I... Should I'm going to be calling social services. Should I you You know, should I complain to the door makers that the edges of their doors are too sharp? She had this bruised line going up and down her face. No, it was my fault. I shouldn't have...
1: Although Let's I, grow up. Uh, although I did hear that your lovely bride is uh, filing paperwork to have you recall. <laughs> yeah. so. I'm still
4: offended that you called me I'll a sister. I, I drive an SUV. That.
1: <laughs> You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're going through some of the newsmakers this week. On Wednesday, shares of Green Mountain Coffee Roasters fell 16% after it was revealed the SEC has made an official inquiry into the company's revenue recognition practices. Ironically, Wednesday was also National Coffee Day. Ron Gross, what is going on here? The irony just writes itself, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, so I can't speak to
2: whether the revenue recognition problems are true problems because we just don't have enough information yet. The analytical, the analyst reports I'm reading um, seem to indicate that people are not that concerned. It's also really boring. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> boring. I was never a lover of Green Mountain just on its own merits in the sense that you know we, we see profitability on a per cup of coffee basis really not growing, the market affording it a, a multiple that was really too high, in my opinion. Don't
3: they have that little patent expiring thing they coming have expi- up? This is
2: a fad issue, there's a patent expiring issue. They just
3: issue. spent a bunch of money buying the folders of Canada? That no, looks desperate I will say, I use the
2: Keurig machine pretty much every day. Big fan of the product, just never a big fan of the stock. James? You know, just technically
4: speaking, the issue would seem to be, I think they they sell most of their product to a distributor who then sells it to you know the One industry. distributor, so correct. the question is, I think, was the revenue booked, Uh, they would normally book it when the distributor then sells the product versus when they first sell to the distributor, which is revenue recognition is a nasty thing if you're actually doing, if if you're fudging the revenue recognition. But could it be that the SEC is mad that they missed Madoff, so now they're going after Green Mountain Coffee, which I, is I don't think so. a Vermont-based yeah. business? Well, I mean, really? well, Vermont is like the Sweden of America. I mean, it's just wholesome <laughs> in every which way. Are you in there communists?
3: Are you calling yeah. Vermont a communist I feel
1: healthy state? when I'm in Vermont. I'll say that. Let's pull back from Green Mountain for just a second. Just as an investor, when you, uh, regardless of what the company is, when there's an SEC inquiry into something like revenue recognition, is this a... Is this an automatic red flag? Is this a where there's smoke, there's fire thing? It depends. You know, the SEC is very
3: easily pushed around. Uh, there's, uh, there's political motivations sometimes can cause the SEC to start an, uh, an investigation. I don't think there's any of that here. So it's really hard to say. I mean, if this is a symptom of, of some greater uh, legality... Sle- uh, sle- sle- legality. I like that. Then, uh, yeah, that was
1: that was Slimy, but copyrighted though.
3: Yeah. Um, then, then you'd have to worry, but you'll never know. You'll never know in
1: time. And that's why people sold it off. And finally, it's time for this week in Swedish retail. IKEA, the home furnishing giant, said its profits rose 11 percent over the past year, and fashion retailer H&M posted a 22 percent rise in quarterly profits. Analysts, however, were expecting more, and the stock fell on the news. Seth, Jason, you're one of our top retail guys, and you look vaguely Swedish to me. And so. I really yeah,
3: I love to go to Sweden. <laughs> so, what did you make of the Vaguely Swedish. <laughs> I like you that. know,
1: IKEA is a
3: really strange story. It's the first time they've disclosed this information publicly. It, IKEA. There was a big Economist article on IKEA. It's actually impossible to fully figure out the ownership structure. It's a bunch of small companies, and then it's a non-profit uh, for the further of design. So, I actually wouldn't trust any number that IKEA reported. The only reason they're doing this, I think, is to try and deflect criticism that here's this multi-billion dollar operation that is tax advantaged and not actually telling you where the money goes, yet it seems to have this sort of hip uh, green feeling to it. If we can turn to H&M, H&M, uh, I thought those results were interesting. A fairly nice profit increase didn't please analysts. And the reason is a reason you're going to see a lot coming up, which is that margins are down. Most retailers out there right now are cutting... Uh, the prices, and so what they're trying to do is they're cutting the prices on the product, so they're losing gross margin on the product, hoping that they can make up margin, uh, moving more people into the stores. That doesn't always work out. James Early, yeah, final word.
4: Sure, and wouldn't it be like these? are These are, are sort of counter uh, uh, cyclical uh, indicators too. I mean, these are some of the cheapest retailers you can get. I mean, you can buy a whole stack of clothes and put it in IKEA wardrobe for. 200 bucks. An H&M lashes, wardrobe, yeah. Three months. Yeah, but exactly.
3: yeah, for $200 you can also fill a, a house with all of those uh, wobbly CD cases with
1: most of the <laughs> screws in the box. And, and, and what and about of the leftover board. screws that I have because I can never put them together? And all right? of those little wrenches. <laughs> All right, coming up, the guys will be back later in the show to talk about the stocks on their radar. But up next, Academy Award nominated filmmaker Charles Ferguson talks about Inside Job, his new documentary about the financial crisis. Just bring me lots and lots of money. Stick around. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Money, 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 money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. So, was the financial crisis an inside job? Charles Ferguson is a filmmaker whose first documentary earned him an Academy Award nomination. His second documentary is Inside Job, a look at the financial crisis. Share prices continued to tumble. Lehman Brothers was forced to declare itself bankrupt. The largest single point drop.
5: The regulators, they had the power to do every case that I made when I was state attorney general. They just didn't want to.
1: Charles Ferguson joins me now. So let me start with something Uh, I guess kind of basic, what attracted you to this story?
0: Well, uh, <laughs> there are several answers to that question. Actually, uh, there's kind of uh, there's a serious answer, and then there's a kind of black humorish answer, which uh, is all too serious as well. Actually,
1: we're fans of black humor at, at the Motley Fool, so anyway. uh,
0: okay. Well, all right. So first, the sober and serious answer is that uh, this is obviously a, a gigantic event, which has affected the lives and And indeed destroyed the lives of uh, tens of millions of people who've lost their jobs, their houses, their life savings um, as a consequence of this catastrophe and so explaining it to the world would seem to be a useful and important thing to do uh, there's the the black humor answer is uh, I'm a great fan of heist movies, and uh it, that's definitely a genre in which I would like to work i you know I love um the Thomas Crown affair and inside man and you know all those kinds of movies and um here we have uh here we have a heist and i made a heist movie <laughs> uh it's a quite spectacular heist and um the the it was an inside job hence the name of the film and the title of the film and uh it's one in which um The robbers spent about $5, $10 billion paying off the police before they committed the robbery and and also continue to pay off the police after the robbery, and they've gotten away with it. And the amount that they heisted is certainly in the tens of billions of dollars. It might even be in the hundreds of billions of dollars. It's uh, without any question the largest uh, financial bubble and the largest fraud in economic history.
1: You interview over 40 people in this film. One of them is Noriel Rabini, the economics professor at NYU. And one of the things you ask him is, why do you think there isn't a more systematic investigation being undertaken? And he says very directly, because then you'd find the culprits. I I mean, that seems to point towards the government protecting the wrongdoers. Do you think that's the case?
0: Yes, I I do. there's there's no question in my mind that that's going on and uh while i'm not entirely certain what the calculation is in president obama's head that has led him to uh condone such behavior there's there's no question that that's what's going on um, there's not been a single criminal prosecution uh, which is quite extraordinary and and very different from uh previous economic crises, financial crises, and after the, uh, the savings and loan scandals of the late 1980s, there were several thousand criminal prosecutions, and, and hundreds of financial executives, perhaps thousands, certainly hundreds, went to prison. And even after the dot-com bubble and the collapse of Enron and WorldCom uh, roughly a decade ago, uh, a smaller number, but still substantial number of people, certainly dozens, uh, went to prison. This time, not a single person has even been arrested, and there's also been no special prosecutor appointed. Um, there's uh, There's been no equivalent of the PCORA Commission or other, you know, really serious uh, investigative commissions. There have only been a handful even of civil cases filed by the government. It's, it's really extraordinarily shocking.
1: How much of this problem is about the people involved, and in particular I'm talking about executives at the major financial firms like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Bank of America, and how much of it is the system?
0: Uh, That's a good question. It's both. By this point I think it's both, but the system was in very significant measure uh, created by A relatively small number of people, um, meaning hundreds, perhaps a few thousand, uh, people in the financial services industry, running the financial services industry, who uh, made a very concerted effort to lobby the government, to change laws, to weaken regulation, to weaken law enforcement, uh, and and by paying off the economics discipline... To spread the idea that uh, deregulated and unregulated finance was okay and was even a good idea.
1: Before your filmmaking career, you were a consultant at some of the biggest tech companies in America, companies like Apple, Xerox, Texas Instruments. Um, so I, you know, uh, I'm certainly not suggesting that this is this type of thing is only contained on Wall Street, because certainly you could be a crooked leader no matter what business you're in, you could run a crooked lemonade stand. Um, but it just seems like the incentive for wrongdoing is so much greater at a Wall Street firm than if you're running a major retail business or a major tech company. Do you think that that's the case?
0: Yes, it is. Um, it's, it's absolutely the case. And, and one sees that in many different ways in the behavior of the two industries. Um, In in the first place, the technology sector is, for the most part, uh, quite competitive. And while sometimes uh, a firm such as Microsoft, say, or earlier IBM, has a, a strong or even dominant position, that usually isn't the case, and and even when it is the case, it doesn't last forever. It's a very competitive industry, and so if you try and defraud somebody, they simply will stop buying your product. They'll buy other people's products, and um, there's a, a ferocious contest for technological progress and providing value to, to customers. That's one thing that you see. Another thing that you see that's a remarkable difference between technology and financial services is uh, pay structures and compensation structures and incentives. When I started my software company, I started and ran a software company in the mid-1990s, successfully so. It was a it was a venture-funded uh, startup. The venture capitalists who invested in me sat me down and told me extremely directly, your salary is going to be $100,000 a year. It's never going to go up. Your stock is going to vest over five years. You cannot sell any of it. So go make your stock worth something. And uh, and also no outside activities. And needless to say, uh, the uh, the cash in the company was not spent on lobbying or entertaining. It was spent on developing products. And um, if I had if I had gone to them with the typical compensation package of a trader or Wall Street executive these days and said, you know, I have this great idea. Please pay me a guaranteed cash bonus of $5 million next year. Would have been a very short meeting.
1: (laughs) You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Charles Ferguson, the writer-director of the new documentary Inside Job. All right, Charles, time to wrap up with a round of buy, sell, or hold. Let's start with this company. It's being mentioned as a big threat to Google, buy, sell, or hold the future of Facebook.
0: Ah, I would say hold. Why's that? Well, uh, uh, clearly a very successful company, but uh, I tend to suspect that it's going to be difficult for them to move out of their, their very big, very successful niche. Uh, and the people who run Google and, and other companies with which they might find themselves competing have a very, very deep uh, technical and engineering culture, which I think is quite different from the way Facebook runs.
1: You did some consulting for Apple in the early '90s, so I think this qualifies you to weigh in on this one. Buy, sell, or hold—the future of the iPhone.
0: Oh, I would say buy. Yeah, I'm—I'm uh, I'm an enthusiast. Uh, in you know fair disclosure, I'm also a shareholder. I own a fair amount of Apple stock. I—I uh, I That's why that's
1: you're doing this interview, right? It's not to promote your movie. It's just to pump the Apple stock.
0: <laughs> that's it. Um, uh, I'm a a believer that Apple has uh, a very, very good run in front of it. I, I would say for at least five years, Apple is going to be very successful for two reasons. One is that its products are fantastic, and the second is that those products are undercutting the entrenched dominant positions of the rest of the technology sector, both the consumer technology sector like Blackberries, for example, and also um, the likes of Microsoft and Hewlett-Packard, you know, the, the Wintel personal computer industry. I no, I, I think Apple uh, is superbly positioned for at least another five years.
1: We were talking earlier about technology company CEOs, and this one is locked in a tight race. The likelihood that former eBay CEO Meg Whitman will be elected governor of California, by seller hold
0: oh well everything's for sale these days and i think that she's already spent 120 million dollars of her own money so um i would say that her odds are pretty good although i can't say that i uh think it's the best way to run a democracy
1: fair enough Uh, finally we've seen this in everything from avatar to toy story 3 it's all the rage these days buy seller hold inside job in 3d
0: Ooh, I think we'd make a great 3D movie. (laughs) You think so? I think it would be fantastic. Yes, those aerial shots of Manhattan. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I think that that there's at least a half hour of our movie that looks really, really cool, and I would love to see people wearing 3D glasses.
1: All right, I I think uh, Motley Fool gets a special thanks in the credits if that happens.
0: Absolutely.
1: All right, the film is inside Job. Writer-director Charles Ferguson, thanks so much for being here.
0: Thank you very much for having me. I bought a little house in 2006.
2: man at the bank said the mortgage ain't fixed. But don't worry, son, it's your dream come true. Well, Lord, he didn't want me about them subprime blues. I said what about my credit score? He said it's fine
1: as he showed me the door. Then he grabbed Coming up, an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Plus, which is bigger? Don't go away. This is Motley Full Money.
2: The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want them.
1: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill, and back in the studio with me are our trio of senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Time to play Which Is Bigger? When here to help us out is our man, <laughs> Steve Snickering. Broido. Steve Reid, what's our first question?
5: Okay, gentlemen, which is bigger, the total number of drink combinations at Starbucks according to a 2008 Starbucks ad or the price in dollars of Berkshire Hathaway A shares? Wow.
2: Okay, wow. how many drinks I, I know oh, the it's, answer it's to this. The birth it's one. definitely Berkshire. Yeah. Really? Yeah. O- oh, what, sure. roughly well, how many is, drinks so, and $124,000? Yeah, and there's, there's no way that there's maybe there's 30 20
4: drinks. drinks and 30 I mean how carry the, carry, carry 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 the two. factorial or something.
1: I need a, a calculator. No,
3: according to an ad, oh, according to an ad, so they were probably BSing. Oh, they could have put an exponent. No, no, it. ads could, would never. You could get
1: James Early, math professor. So we're going. You think about it. I
3: mean, you know, I'm, we're going off menu here. Okay.
1: I'm going. St- I'm going Starbucks drink combinations. Actually, yeah. He's probably right because yeah, it it's counterintuitive. Yeah. Kind of.
5: Let's let's go with that, Steve. Well, the correct answer: Berkshire is bigger.
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I said.
5: <laughs> Berkshire A shares trade around $124,000. Strong work, Ron. Uh, <laughs> Starbucks claims to have over 87. 1000 different drink combinations, which is ridiculous That's pretty <laughs> close is, though Which
3: is how many I have to wait through every time I go to a Starbucks for some weirdo who's got to have 8000 custom things in their coffee.
1: You're a bitter bitter man, Seth Jason Just
3: get a cup of coffee and
5: get out of my way Steve, what's next? All right number two which is bigger the weight of Amazon's new Kindle 3 in pounds or the total Ooh. number of Chipotle restaurants currently serving breakfast
3: Wow. It's the weight of the Kindle, because it's, Kindle, it's yeah. one Chipotle restaurant, I think. And and no wait, in pounds. In pounds. pounds. So in what's the it weight? It's under, it's under a pound. So it's the oh, Chipotle it I, ju- I just bought a new Kindle. Yeah.
1: Full disclosure, just bought it. Yeah, for, it's under uh, a
3: pound. And there's, pound one, is there's at least one Chipotle serving breakfast. Four big apples. Is it, is it lighter than that? It's under a pound. Under a pound. It's okay. the
5: Chipotles, dudes.
1: All right. That, Steve, what do we got?
5: Well, the number of Chipotle restaurants serving breakfast uh, is the correct answer. The Kindle 3 weighs 8.5 ounces, which is around half a pound. Only one Chipotle currently nice. serves Strong. breakfast. Yeah. Where it's, is that one by the, the Dulles way? Dallas Airport location. Airport. Yeah, here in yeah. Virginia. Yeah, and uh, r- uh, airports Do there are required. I'm sorry, restaurants at airports. Let me try this again as I'm losing my mind. <laughs> uh, airports in Dallas are required to serve breakfast. Or restaurants. Restaurants in, in Dallas. Airport. Airport.
3: Can we just roll it like that? It's a lot I like money. that. It definitely
5: is more humorous. Oh, take that, all you Steve Broido fans. He messes up too. <laughs>
1: he does indeed. All right, Steve. It's what's our, our f- last question?
5: Final one. Uh, which is bigger, Amazon's market cap in dollars or the combined market cap of eBay? Priceline, Netflix, and Yahoo in dollars. Good Oop.
1: question. Ooh, I'm that going is f- with the combination. I'll go with go- Amazon, I don't know. You know, Netflix really wow. bumps up that that combo. What do you think, Seth?
3: No, I think it's the combo. I do too. Well, eBay, I guess, is pretty big.
1: I'm, well, what, as an Amazon shareholder, I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick by my man Jeff Bezos, and I'm going to go with Amazon.
5: Well, everyone seems correct except for Chris. (laughs) The combined market caps are indeed bigger, but not by much. Amazon has a market cap of around $68 billion. Yahoo is around 19 billion eBay is around $32 billion. Priceline is around $16 billion. Netflix is around $8 billion, so the combined market caps of Yahoo, eBay, Priceline, and Netflix are $75 billion.
3: eBay's going the way of the dodo.
1: All right, thank you, Steve Broido. All right, guys, time to talk about the stocks that are on our radar. And, Ron Gross, we will start with you. All right, Chris, I'm going to hit
2: you with one that we also own in the million-dollar portfolio um, known as a mini Berkshire Hathaway Markel Corporation specialty insurance company. Really fantastic underwriters actually make money on the insurance side of the business, not just the investment side of the business, which is typical of insurance companies nowadays. Um, Tom Gainer, their investment chief, has amassed a great track record, a great steward of their capital, and and has generated some great investment returns. And uh, I think we've, we've got some multiple expansion on the horizon. They're going to continue to grow book value. I like it short-term, long-term. I think it's a good one.
1: And for someone like me who knows pretty much nothing about insurance, when you say specialty insurance, like they're, like so they're just insuring you, sports teams? What are they doing?
2: They, everything from uh, ballet studios to dude ranches, uh, anything that is... You, know, <laughs> you had me at dude ranch. <laughs> that's that, that's <laughs> quite a range. Yeah, wow. it's, it's really niche businesses, that, which unlike, uh, let's say, car insurance, which is basically a commodity business, uh, yep. competes on price. These niche things are, are not uh, so much um, commodity based. There's uh, service you aspects You need special
3: spreadsheets for those.
2: It makes it much more interesting than your typical uh, life insurance company, your and car they, insurance company. And final
1: question: Do they have any talking rodents as their uh, mascot? No, they're pretty low-profile guys. Okay. So no, no rodents. I like them already. <laughs> All right, James Early,
4: Chris. When I hear about the metal shavings in in children's Tylenol, when I hear about the bacteria and and fungus or dirt or whatever, I get excited. Not not <laughs> That's because disgusting. Not, not because it's a bad. Th- I mean, I get excited because it could be a buying opportunity. In this case, these things are are bad, but they're not nearly bad enough to rock Johnson & Johnson's boat. This is a very big, stable company. Johnson & Johnson is one of my income investor stocks. It pays a 3.5% yield and has paid a dividend every year since 1944. So I say, you know, this is bad news and and it's unfortunate, but but buying on the bad news could be a smart move right now. And the ticker? JNJ.
1: Seth Jason uh i'm going to continue with the
3: callous disregard for our nation's most innocent <laughs> uh, and, and say you should look at mattel now mattel did hasn't really been uh beat up too much because of this uh the, the fisher price point, yeah the fisher price recall uh, so i i was looking at the numbers and i said wow a 9.3 percent free cash flow yield a 3.2 percent dividend yield they sell a lot of toys that don't maim children uh-huh. i have a ton of them at my house and, and guess what? These toys wear out, and they keep finding new markets. It's trading near the near the back end, the low end of its historical sort of P-E ratio. I, I think you could do a lot worse, especially right now when, when you can't get anything on money in a savings account. So Mattel, M-A-T. And one of their big brands is Barbie. Barbie. Uh, does your little girl
1: have... Have some Barbies.
3: I'm gonna have trouble with that whole Barbie and princess thing. I'm hoping I can have a, a
1: girl who likes rock tumblers and race cars. Good luck with that. Let me know how it works out.
4: Barbie's got a little trampy too. So I know, <laughs> <yeah>. really. <laughs> it's not she, like it used to be.
1: All right, we'll wrap up. We'll wrap up with Barbie being a little trampy. Seth, Jason, James, Early, Ron, Gross, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks also to our special guest this week, filmmaker Charles Ferguson. His new documentary, Inside Job, opens in New York City and Los Angeles later this month. If you missed any part of the show, you can find it at our website, motleyfoolmoney.com. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.